you may take off for Children's Church. Now, how come you guys don't run into church like that? You know, it's like, oh, I'm excited to get to Children's Yeah, okay, forget it. All right. Hey, we're going to pick up our narrative in Mark chapter 8 this morning. And you know what? It is unique in a number of ways. But we'll get to that, okay? I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, but yeah, Mark 8, we're going to start at verse 22. We're going to take a look at the setting for this narrative. We're going to take a look at the story of the narrative. And then we're going to take a look at the significance of this narrative. So the setting, the story, and the significance of this passage of Scripture. I tell you what, it is absolutely fascinating. Let's begin by looking at the setting in verse 22, Mark 8, 22. We're going to look at the first four words. How's that? Don't want to go too fast for some of you. They came to Bethsaida. Well, what about Bethsaida? Well, Bethsaida is located just to the north of the Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida was the hometown of Peter, his brother Andrew, and also the hometown of Philip. So this is the place where three of the disciples grew up and were known. Um, but Peter and Andrew at some point moved from Bethsaida to Capernaum. Because if you go back to chapter 1 of Mark, you will know that Jesus was at the synagogue in Capernaum and then went to Peter's home and healed his mother-in-law. So Bethsaida is the hometown of Peter and Andrew and also Philip. And it's in this region that Jesus did a lot of his miracles. If you can see on the screen, see Bethsaida is located at the top of uh, the Sea of Galilee on the river there. And this whole region is known as Galilee. And it is the region where Jesus did most of his miracles. It's really not that huge of an area. It's about 80 by 60. So 80 by 60 miles. So it's not a huge area. But it was an area that Jesus spent a lot of time there. And let me just go through some of the miracles that Jesus did in this region. In Mark chapter 1, an evil spirit was cast out of a man. That was in Capernaum. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. And it says that after Jesus healed his mother-in-law, that Jesus healed many people. Uh, chapter 1, also he healed a man with leprosy. Chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralytic. Chapter 5, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. Jesus also heals Jairus' daughter. Chapter 6, we see that Jesus feeds the 5,000. And that would have been the region right to the right of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, chapter 7, Jesus heals a man who was deaf and dumb. So this was a region that saw many miracles of Jesus. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know what? We saw a miracle here two weeks ago. You know, if, if, probably you didn't think about it a whole lot, but the first Sunday of Vacation Bible School, it was pouring rain. Poor Buzz was trying to cook chicken 
for uh, Buzz's barbecue, you know, and it was pouring rain. So he moved underneath the tent out back here, which was good because I wanted my chicken. So, and it was delicious. And so I talked to Carrie Johnson. I said, Carrie, what are we going to do? Um, I mean, the forecast was for rain all day. And in fact, there was a guy that I hired to bring a train ride in for the little carnival that we have before vacation Bible school. I mean, I, I hired this guy to bring a train ride, and I canceled it because it was supposed to rain. Now, me canceling a train ride, you know it would take an awful lot. But I did because the forecast was for rain. I mean, it's supposed to rain starting at 3 o'clock and rain throughout the night. And if you remember correctly, it stopped raining a little afternoon. In fact, we were able to get our chicken after church without having rain on us. And the rest of the day was beautiful. So I asked Carrie, I said, Carrie, what are we going to do if it rains the rest of the day? We have all these carnival games set up. We're just going to set them up inside. She goes, well, Steve, I've just been praying that God would get all of his rain done by noon. Okay. Very good. It was done by noon on Sunday. And if you remember correctly, on Tuesday, we had storms go through, what, 4, 5, 6 a.m. And by noon, guess what? It was sunny. It was nice. Beautiful evening. Thursday, we had storms roll through, 4, 5, 6 a.m. In fact, uh, you know very well about that storm, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, he, he got hit by lightning. Um, the garrisons got hit by lightning. Quite a storm. But you know what? It was all done by noon. Thursday was absolutely gorgeous. I'm sitting in my office watching the 5 o'clock news on my computer, and Joe Calhoun said, well, you know what? Uh, I think the stormers are going to fire up like 7, 8 o'clock, and not a storm to be found. Now, you know what? It, Okay, Sunday, storm being done by noon. Okay, maybe we got a little lucky. Tuesday, storm being done by noon. Oh, okay, maybe we're a little fortunate. I don't know. Three storms in one week. Three storms in five days. Coming in early in the morning, being done by noon, and absolutely a picture-perfect night for vacation Bible school. The only way that I can really say that that happened was God did a miracle for us. And I just don't see any other way around it. Who, I can't even remember where in five days having three morning thunderstorms. Just never heard of that. But it happened during our vacation Bible school week. So we could have a beautiful evening for VBS. You bet it was a God thing. Absolutely. And now it's important to remember that the people of Bethsaida have witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle. And we're going to get there in a few moments why that was so important. Bethsaida was also a synagogue town. It had a very proud Jewish heritage. The village of Bethsaida, or Bethsaida, means house of fishing. Sounds like fun to me, doesn't it? House of fishing. That's the setting, Bethsaida. Let's go back to the story of verse 22. We'll pick up after the first four words. 
And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Now, why did they bring a blind man to Jesus? Because they knew that Jesus did miracles. They knew what Jesus had done in the past. So they bring this blind man to Jesus, hoping that this blind man could be healed. Now, I think we need to step back for a moment and just understand people with illnesses and and deformities back in that day. Because you know what? They did not have any hope of being healed. I mean, there were no medicines. I mean, there were things, okay, you know, rub this on you, rub this balm. But there, there were no medicines that people could take to overcome any illnesses. There were no operations that people could could undergo so that they could fix a deformity and so they had no hope. They, they didn't have any hope of being healed or helped because of any deformity. So it might be good to recognize that this man had absolutely no hope whatsoever of ever seeing except Jesus. My daughter and son-in-law adopted a boy from China. His name is Tobin. And Tobin was born with a heart defect. And that was why he was abandoned at an orphanage in, in China. And the adoption agency said that unless he gets adopted and the family can get an operation for him, he's probably going to die because of this, this heart issue. And the adoption agency was really pushing hard to get him adopted so that he could have an operation and, and he could hopefully be able to live a normal life. And Tobin had no hope. He had no hope of ever being a normal boy because of this heart defect. Well, that tugged at the heart of my daughter and son-in-law, and they brought him home from China. And at two years old, he had a heart operation at the University of Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. An operation, yeah, it was quite involved. <laughs> but with modern medicine, he could have an operation so that he could get fixed. <laughs> His heart could be fixed so that he could be a, a normal kid. Here's Donna with him at the hospital. It was quite a time because my daughter didn't want to be at the hospital by herself, so Donna would go and spend some time at the hospital. Our son-in-law would go and spend some time at the hospital, but they had three kids at home that we had to babysit as well, so we were running from, Wayne, from Lancaster to Waynesboro to Pittsburgh to Waynesboro. And uh, so it was quite the adventure. And there's a picture of me. I am taking him home. I had the privilege of being there to take him home. And uh, it was great to see. And here's a picture of him um, just uh, a month ago. Crazy kid, let me tell you. But a healthy kid because... He had an operation. 
he had no hope of even surviving to be a teenager without an intervention from somebody. And uh, he is doing well. He doesn't have the, the stamina, the endurance like other kids because of the heart defect, but for the most part, <laughs> he's running around with, with everybody else. This blind man had no hope of ever being healed. This blind man had no future but to be a blind man. And his friends bring him to Jesus. When John the Baptist was in jail and having some doubts about Jesus, if, if he was the real Messiah, he sent some messengers to Jesus and they said, hey, um, Jesus, are you the real Messiah or should we look for somebody else? And, and listen to Jesus' reply to John the Baptist in Luke 7, 22. It'll be up on the screen. Look at this. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Look at this. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Those miracles were proof of Jesus' deity. There was no hope of people being healed except Jesus' intervention into their lives. And these miracles that Jesus performed were proof that, yes, he was the Messiah. No doubt about it. But if you were born with a physical deformity, if you were born blind, you not only had that to deal with, but you were also looked at as an outcast. You were looked at, well, something's wrong with you, other than you're blind or you can't walk. Something else is wrong with you. You must be cursed by God. John 9, verses 1 and 2. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples, this is Jesus and his disciples, so his disciples are asking him, uh, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. See, the disciples' mentality is that you are cursed because you were born blind. Or if not you, your parents did something, and that's why you were born blind. And that mentality goes the whole way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Job. When Job had all those calamities happen to him, his friends came and they sat in silence with him for for a time, which is a good thing to do. But then they said, hey, Job, you know what? Um, all these things happen to you because you have sin in your life. That's why. If you wouldn't have that sin in your life, you, those things would not have happened. <laughs> so that mentality has been around for a long time. So the blind man had to deal with being blind, but they also had to deal with being an outcast from society, an outcast that nobody wanted to be around because he is cursed by God, and you don't want to be around anybody who is 
cursed by God. Let's look at verse 23. He, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand. You know, that's something that no religious leader would do. Jesus touched him. Now, make no mistake about this. It's, it may seem small and insignificant, but Jesus, God incarnate, shows his love, shows his compassion by taking his hand, by touching him. You know, God's not afraid to get involved in people's lives by touching them. And it shows, it shows God's heart, that God's heart is, I want to touch people. I want to help people. And Jesus did just that. He reached out, grabbed his hand, and touched him. God is not detached from you. He is not detached from humanity. God wanted to touch people. And he did that literally when Jesus came to earth and touched people. Hebrews 4.15 says that our high priest Jesus is touched by our infirmities and weaknesses. Jesus is the touchable son of God. Jesus is not standoffish. He touched people, and he allowed people to touch him. Look at all those references up there on the screen of, of instances where Jesus touched people or allowed people to touch him. And make no mistake, friends, <laughs> Jesus wants to touch you. Jesus knows your needs he knows you, and he wants to touch you. And he's not afraid to do it. Back to verse 23. It says that he took the blind man by the hand. He took the blind man and led him outside the village. Now, why, why did Jesus lead him outside the village. I mean, outside of the town. Why did he want to do this away from people? You would think he would want to do it in front of everybody so that people can see, oh, look, we, we, we know this guy. And he can now see, wait, what? Wow. <laughs> this is incredible. Look what Jesus did. So why did Jesus take him from the the village in front of everybody and take him away to a private location. I mean, somewhere outside the town. Well, I'm going to throw out two ideas. Maybe you can come up with some more. First is that Jesus didn't want to be known just as a healer or miracle worker. There has been a number of times where Jesus healed somebody and he says, hey, don't tell people about this, okay? This is between you and me. That's, you know, don't do that. Don't tell people. Um, maybe, you know, Jesus' mission was not just to heal people, 
His mission was to die on the cross for our sins. The second reason that maybe Jesus did this was because the people of Bethsaida have witnessed a number of miracles. The people there have seen Jesus do a number of things, not just only healings, but remember the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. They have either heard about it or they've witnessed it. And you know, doing one more miracle in front of them is not going to change their mind to believe in Jesus. Now, why do I say that? Well, we have to go back to Matthew eleven twenty one. Look at this. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What? Wait, what? <laughs> the people in Bethsaida saw miracles, heard about miracles, but yet their hearts were hardened. They didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And doing this one more miracle, it's not going to change anybody's mind. Let me tell you, folks, it's a very dangerous place for people to reject the message of God and to harden their hearts and unbelief. Because even Jesus said, enough's enough. That's scary. He is pursuing us. He wants to touch us. But there comes a point where Jesus said, you know what? It's not going to make any difference. Be careful of not recognizing what God is doing and harden your heart in unbelief. So Jesus takes this man by the hand and he, he leads him outside of the village. The rest of verse 23. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Now, this, if, when you read this, when he had spit, that's Jesus, when he had spit on the man's eyes, you're thinking, wait a second. You know, uh, I'm, in Jesus' other miracles, he just said something and they were healed. Or he just touched them and they were healed. Why, why did Jesus spit on the man's eyes? Well, I don't know, so ask Pastor Jesse. <laughs> we don't know. Um, we have no clue why Jesus used this method. Um, maybe, maybe it was like he was transferring power from himself to the man, but as we see, Jesus touched him too. So, so I don't know. 
That's just one of the mysteries that uh, we just have no clue about. So I tell you what, when you get to heaven, you can ask Jesus. So why'd you spit in that guy's face? I mean, it just doesn't, didn't make any sense to me. So I have no clue. But Jesus spit on his man's eyes and put his hands on him. Now, he does something here that is only done in this passage. It's the only place in the Gospels where Jesus asks a person that he is healing a question. In all the miracles listed in the Gospels, when Jesus heals a person, they're healed. That's it. Hey, things are good. You're ready to go. Here, Jesus spit on the man's eyes, put his hands on him, and Jesus asks him a question. It's the only place in all the Gospels where he does that. And the man replied in verse 24, he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Huh. It's kind of obvious that the man's response that he's not seeing clearly. Like Robert Davis this morning. Yeah, wait a second, where was my... Oh yeah, I see that here. Yeah, he was a Robert Davis. He, he couldn't see things clearly. Unless you put on glasses. Wait, when Jesus heals, doesn't he heal completely? I mean, would Jesus leave a job half done? Yeah, Matt Hershey, how would you like your guys to leave a roof half done? You know, ah, you know what, we're just going to... You don't do that, do you? <laughs> You're going to hear from people if you do that. You don't leave a job half done. But Jesus, here, the man replied, yeah, I, I see people, I, they, they look like trees, though. Verse 25, look at this. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Not only is this the only healing where Jesus asks the person if they're healed completely, this is also the only place in all the Gospels where Jesus' healing takes places in two stages. Why? Why, why, did, why did it take Jesus two times? Was he tired and he just didn't have the energy to heal him completely? You know, ah, it's a bad day. You know, I'm kind of drained. I didn't sleep well last night. Why? I mean, wait a second. What's, why did it take two times for this man to be healed? I'm not sure, so I asked Pastor Jesse. Some things that some of the writers talked about here as I was reading this week, um, some, some said, well, maybe it was the lack of faith on the man's part. Because remember, it's, he's not from the village of Bethsaida, as we will see, but he is from that whole region, 
And maybe, you know, it's like, okay, look, I'll go along. These people brought me to Jesus. You know, yeah, I'll just go along with it because, hey, it might be nice to see. So maybe it was a lack of faith in the man's part and to have Jesus heal him partially. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I, I can see, but it's, it's just a little blurry. Yeah. Maybe. Don't know. Um, the other reason uh, that I read about is that maybe this was an object lesson for the disciples. Because what did the man say? You know, I, I, I see people, right? I broke out my Greek New Testament. My Greek New Testament has English words with it, so I know I, I can read that part. And where he says, I see people, actually in the Greek it says, I see men. Maybe your translation has that. I see men. So most likely he saw the disciples that were with Jesus when Jesus took this blind man out of the village. So maybe this was an object lesson for the disciples in that, you know, <laughs> you've been with me for, you know, almost three years at this point. This is getting towards the end of Jesus' ministry. You've been with me for, for quite a while. And I know I have said many things. I have taught many things. You have seen me do many things. And, you know, maybe you're getting a more clearer understanding of who I am. Maybe. We're going to lead into that. Not sure why it took two stages, but maybe those are some of the reasons that it took two times for, of Jesus touching the man to heal him. He was healed completely. Notice the, in verse um, 25 and 26, it says this, then his eyes were opened. Now, you have read that many times in the Bible where it talks about his eyes were opened, which meant that he, he could see clearly. Not only does, it say, does the text say his eyes were open, it says his, height, his sight was restored. Again, another indication that it is complete. And then the third thing, it says, and he saw everything clearly. So even though it took two stages for Jesus to heal this blind man, there is absolutely no doubt that three different times, three different ways it says that he was completely healed. His eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He had perfect vision. Then verse 26, Jesus tells the man to go home. Not back into the village of Bethsaida, but to go home. So the people in your hometown could see what I did. So the man goes home. All right, now we get to the significance. The story 
of Jesus healing a blind man near Bethsaida is only found in the book of Mark. No other gospel records this event. As I said, this is the only time in all recorded scripture that a healing takes place in stages. And it sets the stage for a very important scripture. Because never before in the book of Mark do we have this next passage of scripture, what happens there. No human has ever said what Peter is about to say. Now, there were demons, there were evil spirits who said it earlier in the book of Mark, but no person has yet to say it. Recorded in Mark, verses 27 to 30. And Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, which would have been to the north of Bethsaida. On their way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Does that sound familiar to you? If you go back in the book of Mark to chapter 6, when Herod heard about what the disciples were doing, healing people, casting out evil spirits, um, he inquired, hey, why, you know, what is happening? I'm hearing about this Jesus. And people said in Mark 6, well, you know, some say it's John the Baptist coming back from the dead. Some say it's Elijah. Some say, well, he's one of the other prophets. <laughs> so the disciples were responding back to Jesus exactly what the people were saying. But what about you, Jesus says? What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. In other words, you're the Messiah. They've come a long way from doubting who Jesus is, from not understanding who Jesus is and everything that he has done to now Peter saying, you are the Christ. Then it says, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Probably because Jesus did not want to get into it with the, relig the religious leaders at this point because it was not time for him to suffer and die on the cross. So Jesus warned them. You know, let's keep it to yourselves. Keep it to yourselves. Well, as we conclude, I know, words that you all want to hear. Jesus touched this man who was blind, who was, according to the people and the culture of that day, he was unclean. He was cursed by God. Jesus touched him. Jesus worked through his unbelief to completely heal him. Man, that speaks volumes to me. I hope it speaks to you because Jesus wants to touch you. 
That's what he's in the business of doing. Touching lives, changing lives. This man could now see completely. Jesus wants to touch you. He wants to heal you. He wants to make a difference in your heart so that you will respond and say, you are my Messiah. Jesus, you are the Messiah. I hope that's your response this morning. I hope that you have felt touched by God. I hope that you have seen God work in your life and you have responded by saying, you are the Messiah and I will follow you. If you're here this morning and you're not quite sure of your relationship with Jesus, please come and talk to me. I'll be down in the front here. I'd love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus and how Jesus can touch your heart, how Jesus can make a difference in your life. Please come and talk to me. I want to share with you how Jesus can change your life just like he did this blind man, because he wants to touch you. That's why he sent Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for touching humanity, God, by sending Jesus. And then by literally touching people and healing them. Thank you for the difference that you made in the lives of people physically by healing them, but also spiritually, God, by changing our sinful hearts into hearts that are changed and renewed. Thank you for making us a new creature when we trust Jesus as our Savior. God, we are so grateful for the work that you are doing, touching lives. We give you all the praise and all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.